Welcome to A Course in Business Miracles. This is Heather Dominic, creator of businessmiracles.com and founder and leader of the highly sensitive entrepreneur movement. Join me today for some genuine practical assistance and a business altering and life changing experience. A business miracle. This is A Course in Business Miracles, episode number 33. What the heck are business miracles? First, please celebrate with us as this episode marks one year since the A Course in Business Miracles podcast began. Yay! Thank you to all the highly sensitive entrepreneur listeners from around the world. With this celebration, I'm going to take us back to how A Course in Business Miracles began. Listen in to hear the origin of how it all started. First, what in the heck is A Course in Business Miracles? In order to understand A Course in Business Miracles, it's helpful to understand A Course in Miracles. So I just want to read you something from the beginning of A Course in Miracles. And I invite you just to listen and just allow whatever strikes you to strike you. So A Course in Miracles began with a sudden decision of two people to join in a common goal. Their names were Helen Shookman and William Thetford, professors of medical psychology at Columbia University's College of Physicians and Surgeons in New York City. They were anything but spiritual. Their relationship with each other was difficult and often strained, and they were concerned with personal and professional acceptance and status. In general, they had considerable investment in the values of the world. Their lives were hardly in accord with anything, anything that the Course advocates. Helen, the one who received the material, described herself this way. Psychologist, educator, conservative in theory, atheist in belief. I was working in a prestigious and highly academic setting, and then something happened that triggered a chain of events I could never have predicted. The head of my department unexpectedly announced that he was tired of the angry and aggressive feelings our attitude reflected and concluded there must be another way. As if on cue, I agreed to help him find it. Apparently, the course is the other way. Although their intention was serious, they had great difficulty in starting out on their joint venture, but they had given the Holy Spirit the little willingness the little willingness that as the course itself was to emphasize again and again is sufficient, is enough to enable him to use any situation for his purposes and provide it with his power. To continue, Helen's first person account goes like this. Three startling months preceded the actual writing, during which time Bill suggested that I write down the highly symbolic dreams and descriptions of the strange images that were coming to me. 
Although I had grown more accustomed to the unexpected by that time, I was still very surprised when I wrote, This is a course in miracles. That was my introduction to The Voice with a capital V. It made no sound, but seemed to be giving me a kind of rapid inner dictation, which I took down in a shorthand notebook. The writing was never automatic. It could be interrupted at any time and later picked up again. It made me very uncomfortable, but it never seriously occurred to me to stop. It seemed to be a special assignment I had somehow, somewhere, agreed to complete. It represented a truly collaborative venture between Bill and myself, and much of its significance, I am sure, lies in that I would take down what the voice said and read it to him the next day, and he typed it up for my dictation. I expect he had his special assignment, too. Without his encouragement and support, I never would have been able to fulfill mine. The whole process took seven years, and it was collaborative. So my experience, my personal experience with A Course in Miracles, first of all, I was raised in a family of not with my parents. I was an only child that didn't really contain any specific religion. My grandparents and my whole family on my father's side were Italian, and that meant that they were also Catholic. But I was pretty much given free reign to be of an exploratory spiritual nature. My father would share Buddhist teachings with me. He would share Jewish teachings with me. There were um, times when I would go to church with my grandmother on my mom's side, and that was of a Methodist nature. And where I really experienced church was with my grandmother on my father's side, his mother, who again was Catholic and very religious and was very important to her to always be going to church. And what I remember most is sitting and watching the sunlight come in through the beautiful stained windows. And it didn't really mean much to me or matter much to me what was being said. I just really enjoyed being able to sit there and be quiet and watch the sun, and be with my grandmother. My father recently told me a story of when he had chosen to no longer be of the Catholic faith, or at least in practice. And he said that I was, I was a baby at the time. And he and my mother and myself were attending a family wedding, and in an Italian-American wedding that's Catholic, there's a whole mass, the whole mass. And, um, and he said, you know, my grandmother and her sisters and my great aunts, you know, and my great grandmother who was alive until I was 18, were all sitting up front because that's what you did as a good Catholic. You were right as close, as close to God as you could get. 
and my parents were in the back. And my dad said it came time during the mass um, for communion. And so my grandmother got up and she was taking communion (laughs) and my dad didn't get up, you know, because he had decided like, I'm not, I'm not Catholic anymore. And he said that it was a big church, right? A big cathedral. And my grandmother is taking communion and she's coming back. So she's way at the front of the church and my father is back here and my grandmother's going, go to communion, go to communion, get go to communion. (laughs) And I said, what did you do? He said, I just went. (laughs) So... I'm grateful for um, the openness that was presented to me. I would say spirituality really played a part in my life at the death of my mother when I was 14. And she was in a bicycle accident. So she was literally just um, biking with a friend on um, a bike trail in the Lake George, New York area near where I grew up. That was before the time of mountain bikes and it was absolutely before the time of helmets. And her friend was ahead of her, so still to this day, we don't know exactly what happened, except that somehow she fell off her bed, excuse me, her bike, and she hit her head. And it was just in a matter of two weeks after that, that I was sitting with my father and a doctor, and we're making the decision to take her off of life support. And so I'm sure you can imagine things in my life changed drastically from that time on. And it became a very confusing time. And one of the ways that I chose to cope with it is I turned to my achiever nature, which later in all the years I have learned is actually one of my top five strengths. And so I did a lot. I was constantly keeping myself busy to, I didn't know it at the time, but to manage my anxiety. And my father, trying his best, my parents were very young when they had me, so when my mother passed away, she was 35 and he was 36. So doing the absolute best that he could, he was, you know, just looking for ways to support me. And I remember he handed me a tape, a cassette tape, And it was a bootlegged recording of Marianne Williamson's A Return to Love. So I just started listening to that. And I didn't necessarily even understand all of it, but I just started listening to it. And then he handed me like another tape, and that was a bootleg tape of a recording of Wayne Dyer uh, giving a Unity presentation. And that was my introduction. And so I gravitated towards those teachers, but without really understanding what I was doing or why. I just knew that it helped me feel better. So in my 20s, when I moved to New York City, I would go to a lot of lectures that these teachers were giving in workshops. And at that time, and it was in the 90s, and most of them were hosted by the Learning Annex. So I was like in a room with Marianne Williamson and like 10 other people you know, or Wayne Dyer and like 25 other people. And then I just started going further and deeper with that work. And I did some work with Carolyn Mace as well, but never had really officially picked up the course. Then I was teaching at a high school on Long Island and I was in the guidance counseling center because I would always sneak in there to make photocopies um, because it was always like, 
teachers can only make 20 photocopies. At that point, I was starting to think, like, this system, I'm going to have to get out of this system. But I was making photocopies, and there was a big box of books that had been donated to the school, and on top of it was literally this exact copy. And I picked it up, and I was like, oh, yeah, like this is that thing that Marianne Williamson's been talking about for all these years. And I asked the guidance department, um, oh, by the way, it was a predominantly Jewish school. And I said, um, can I take this book? She was like, yeah, of course, go ahead, take that book. So I took this book, and I took it home, and prominently allowed it to sit on my shelf for about 10 years. And then I started picking it up, and I would, you know, sort of dapple through it, and I would read something, and I'd be like, I don't know what this means, but I would write it down. And, and then I started working through the workbook and had started my business. I had created my first business successfully, built myself up to a full practice within nine months' time, found it very difficult to really utilize a lot of the sales and marketing training that I was getting. And it was very male-dominated at that time, especially. So I started taking just naturally everything that I was learning and sort of adapting it and putting it through like my spiritual filter. And um, and then other people started asking other wellness practitioners because my first business was as a nutrition and wellness coach. They were like, wow, like you're full-time in your business. How are you doing that? And I sort of silently started sharing like, well, you know, like this is my spiritual practice and I actually bring that into my marketing. I like pray before I send out emails and, you know, and I was like really like, like don't, don't crucify me. And, and other people then wanted to start to know, like, I, I would really like to know more about this. And there was a time where people were asking me to coach them in their business and I was still coaching people in wellness. So I felt like this real identity crisis. I would be like on the phone with one client and we'd be talking about like broccoli and bowel movements. And then like, I'd be on the phone with the other client and we'd be talking about like their marketing plan. And I was like, ah, ah. and finally made the decision to go full time into what became energy-rich coaching, and still just dappling with the course. Then about three years ago, there was a very dark period in my business, and I was working with a mentor, a marketing mentor, who really was not a match for me. And there was a lot of pushing to do more, more, more. And she was really about the numbers. It meant a lot to her of how much her clients were generating. And because my coping mechanism was to be the achiever, that triggered and kicked into that. And I found myself really miserable. And I fired that marketing mentor. And it was absolutely a dark night of the soul. I really retreated into myself except for the love and attention that I continued to support my clients with. That was it. I took myself off of everything in the coaching industry. I wasn't on anybody's lists. I wasn't watching anything. And I was like, excuse my language, I've got to figure this fucking thing out. I was like, because if this is what it means to be a successful coach, I don't think I want to do that. So what am I doing? Who am I? And what am I here to be? And so at that time, I had received an email from Marianne's team 
that she was going to be doing a very intimate retreat in the Catskills in New York, partnered with Robert Thurman in this retreat. And I was like, I need to go on this retreat. I need to be there. And so I made my way there and it was way up in the, the mountains. And again, there was maybe about 25 of us in the room. And Robert Thurman, if you do or do not know him, he's a leading a speaker and teacher and known as the American Buddhist monk. He has some great teachings. He's a little bit like watching a Muppet try to teach. That was like really fascinating to have the two of them up there together because he's got like this wavy kind of like floppy like gray hair and he's like really like he'll just like say whatever comes out of his mouth. And then there's like Marianne would be on this side and she'd like, well, let me put that into context. So (laughs) it was a great teaching. But I went to that. I went to that retreat with an intention in mind because I always ask all of my clients to set intentions and I set intentions. So I was ready on that first evening session. I'm like, okay, ask me my intention because I am ready. They did not ask for intentions. I was like, so I went to bed and I was really nervous because one of the things that Marianne had said is she said, it's important to me that this is interactive. So I want to hear from you tomorrow. And I was very nervous as I went to sleep because I could feel something big was about to happen. And that was what my experience of going to that retreat was like. It was super chaotic getting there. And then that evening of the first night, I just could not sleep. I just felt like I was going to throw up. I think I'm getting the flu, you know, HSEs. I stayed with it. And I got up and I went the next morning. And so Marianne said, so, you know, I'd like to hear from you. What would you like to focus on? Who has a question? And even though there was so much in every part of my being that was resisting exactly why I was there, it was something, my hand just shot up bigger than me. And she came over to me. And so she's standing right in front of me. I was sitting on a meditation cushion. She stands right in front of me and she says, yeah, what's your question? And I said, "Um, so I said, I believe everything that the course teaches And um, this is actually part of my work. And I support other people with this. And I said, yet somehow, I really just feel that even though I believe this so much, and I put my hands together like this, that there's like this little part of me that just doesn't believe that Jesus is actually there for me. And she looked at me and she said, are you doing the work? And I said, I am doing the work. And she said, how are you doing the work? I said, I'm journaling about the course every single day. And like a good little HSE, I had my journal with me. I'm like, see? And she looked at it and she said, how do you work with it? And I said, well, I'll open up the course and whatever speaks to me and then I'll study on that. She looked at me and she said, page one. You start at page one. And I realized in that moment that I had been just dappling with really doing the work. I was saying and looking like I was doing the work, but I was really avoiding fully doing the work of what it really would mean to start at page one and commit to the entire process of the full curriculum that is A Course in Miracles. And I realized, it's was like, wow, there it is, the ego mind. 
because my fear of what would actually happen, how powerful could I become, what would actually change for me to really delve in and commit to fully being in this practice. And so that's what I did. I went home, page one. And so every single day since that day, I will read the course and I will work on the course in order. And sometimes it's two sentences, sometimes it's 20 pages. And I'll tell you, preparing to be here with all of you, and I took out all of the journals to just have them there with me and to see what it is that I was meant to bring here with all of you. And I just looked at all those journals and I just cried. It's like right there, like that's it, that's all the work. That's what I've been doing. That is my commitment. And remembering the pain and remembering the opportunities that have come forward as a result of me being willing to be committed, to be in core practice, and to be consistent with it. And that's what brings me here, to be with all of you today. Deep breath in and let it out. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Course in Business Miracles. If you're ready to learn how to use your highly sensitive abilities to support you in being purposeful, profitable, and empowered rather than scattered, poor, and undervalued, take my free self-quiz to find out if you are indeed a highly sensitive entrepreneur. And if you are, along with your quiz results, you'll receive my free HSE success guide, which will teach you how to have your highly sensitive abilities working for you to create the results you desire in your business. Take the quiz and receive your free success guide now at www.hsequiz.com.